Dear God, we just come to you tonight, Lord. We are so blessed and so just this opportunity tonight to pray for Austin. God, we just ask that you just be with him, Lord. Strengthen him. Send those angels down, God, that angel of protection, that hedge of protection for him, God. And, Lord, we just ask that that you open those opportunities up for him. God, that you just strengthen him, give him discernment, give him the the words that he needs to have. God, and most of all, we love him. Bring him back safely. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you're stuck with me tonight. And um, if I go on a tantrum and start yelling again, sorry. I don't mean to yell at you. I just, I get really passionate about the Word of God. And that's just how the Lord built me, I guess. But um, it's not a it's not a complicated chapter we're in, nor is it um, long. It's actually very short. Um, and I know that the Lord's going to speak because the Lord's the 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 Bible never returns word or yeah. I'm like getting mixed up right now. It ne- it never goes out and just stays out. Every time the word of God is being preached, it always hits a soul's heart. So don't ever think that if you're preaching or if you ever give a study or devotional or anything, don't ever think that your words mean nothing, that it's not going to touch hearts. Maybe you might think that, but God will always do the work. He is the one that's going to always reap in what he needs to reap in and to touch who he needs to touch. And so I encourage you with that. And before we start, I want you to meditate on these two verses. It's Psalm 46.10. It says, Be still and know that I am God. And Zechariah 2.13, Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because He has roused Himself from His holy dwelling. And why do I bring that up? Before we start, before we open up the book of Job. Well, so many times, even in my prayer life, um, we just want to talk. We just want something from God. We always want something from Him. Usually a prayer would go, Lord, thank you so much for this. Father, would you please help me in this? God, I need this right now. I got finances that I need to meet. Lord, would you please... Uh, heal this person or would you do that for this person and so on and that's the repetitious prayer that we always pray but we're never sitting still never when was the last time you sat still in a room and just sat there the last time for me was actually today because I was stressing over this I only had a day to prepare And so many times we get caught up in the world. We just get caught up. You wake up at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning. You got to go run errands. You got to do this and that. But never once do we just sit still and know He is God. Do you understand that? To know He is God. It's amazing. When I went to Washington about four weeks ago or so, me me and a buddy were driving up. 17-hour drive, but I got to see the most amazing things 
that God has created, like Mount Shasta. Amazing. So as we're driving, I, there's this there's this field of just long, high grass. It's just long, and I'm driving, and for for a second I look over, and I see that the, I the, I see that it's doing something along of along these lines, like the grass is moving. So I'm looking up at the clouds, thinking, okay, it might be the clouds hovering over the grass to create like this almost this shadow upon the grass and so i was like well that's cool but then as i rolled the window down it was the wind that was making these waves in the grass and i've never seen that in my life i was just like wow that's amazing i've never seen i've never seen grass do bunch of waves before ever i've seen water do it but i've never seen grass do it and so as we're driving, I actually got a time, got the time to spend with a buddy of mine that lives in Washington. We went to the mountains, we went to the river, went fishing, shooting guns, all these things. And I start to realize God's creation. I actually got to sit there and be still for once. And actually just observe around. Because here in Riverside, we just always see our bunch of buildings, cars. And billboards, and that's it. That's all we see in Riverside. We don't see the nature aspect of life. The only nature we see is over in Huntington, Newport, and Balboa. That's we always see is the ocean. We don't see anything else. And it's sad sometimes. We think, "Wow, that's amazing. Those waves that are crashing." Oh, takes my breath away. But man, you haven't seen anything yet. When I when I was just up there, I remember we were driving and there's this like mountain right in front of us. It looked like a gi- like a gigantic hill, like you would like a Mount Rubido. As we're driving towards it, and we see like this cloud just hovering on top of it, so you couldn't see the peak of it. And I was just the whole time I'm thinking, Lord, is that you? I mean, is like Moses up there or something? Because as we see in Scripture that when Moses went up to the mountain, clouds hovered over the mountain top, and you couldn't see anything else. And so that's the thing I was picturing. I was just like, wow, God, are you up there? And I, and I turned to my buddy, hey, should we, should we like pull aside and maybe climb it and check if God's up there? Because it was amazing. I've never seen anything like it. We don't see stuff like that. And one thing I was telling... A buddy of mine, when I was praying for him last night, as I prayed for him, I said, Lord, would you help so-and-so just sit still and just pray as he prays to just be still. Just to be still. And I kind of I felt him like nudge a little bit like, what? Because a lot of us don't want to sit still. We don't. We want to go out, we want to hang out with friends, we want to talk to girls, girls want to talk to boys, we want to go shopping, we want to go drive around because it's fun, we want to call people on our cell phones and text message, come on, what's up with this text messaging thing, man? I hate text message, like seriously, I really hate it, first of all, because it costs five cents to retrieve one, and second of all, that's what a phone is. You call someone on the phone. So don't ever text message me here. Just kidding. But back to it. 
to sit still and know that He is God. That Jesus Christ is God. Our Savior is God. How amazing is that? God. He's not some wimpy thing. God is God. He's bigger than life. He holds the universe in the palm of His hand. He can flick the universe if He wanted to. And we would all just die. He can do that. And sometimes we don't have the reverence for God. Sometimes we don't even give a rip for God. Sometimes we just think He's just this character in a, in, in a book called the Bible and that's it. We don't even care. We don't care. But friends, it's time to care and it's time to know God, to understand who God is and what He's done and have reverence for Him and to always put Him on the top of our mind every day. Though you're feeling bummed out, it doesn't matter. Though you're feeling happy, praise the Lord, continue to be happy in Him. But when you're bummed out, you better tell your soul to rejoice. Philippians tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's what Paul tells us to do. And you might understand that Paul was in jail probably half his time that he became a Christian. But still, he still had the words of joy. If you want joy, if you don't want to be bummed out anymore, go look at Philippians and read that. That's the book of joy. And if you have joy, then go look at Philippians again and get a second dose. So, Job chapter 30. This is Job being so bummed. He is so... He's pretty much at the bottom of the pit right now. He's depressed. His heart hurts. He aches physically and mentally, spiritually as well. And I believe the book of Job was written for this reason. So that way when we complain and when, we, when we're, our joy is down, we're not going to, oh, I'm going to whine till No. Look at Job. That's just show you how much you shouldn't whine because this man has gone through hell and back. And so when we look at Job, look at your life. Is there anything you should be complaining about? Nope. You better not. And if you are, you better go outside and go hang out with God and start picking up those stones across that field and start throwing them up to heaven's gates. You better get over there and take those rocks and start throwing up to the sky and maybe you might hit heaven's gates. And then you can cry out to God and say, why am I so bummed? You have not gone through what Job has gone through. So therefore, if you're that bummed out, if you think life is over, you better go out there and start grabbing some rocks and start throwing them into the air and getting God's attention. Because if you're not, you're just going to be dead in your, in your sin and in your depression. That's what's going to happen. If you don't want to go and search after God and seek after Him, then die here on earth 
bummed out. And when you get to heaven, you're, you're probably going to be feeling the loss of what you could have have done. So therefore, you have a decision to make. This book was written to encourage you that your life isn't as bad as Job's life. So, without further ado, and that was my opening statement. Hopefully it catches your attention. Let's pray and let's uh, read Job chapter 30. Father, we ask right now that before we pray, let's all stand again. I like it when we stand and pray together. Get your mind focused. And Lord, as we're all standing in this room, we ask that you would, first of all, open our hearts and our minds and our ears to your word. We ask that you would be the one lifted up, but most of all, that your spirit would be touching each heart in this room. And not my words, Lord. May my words fall on deaf ears tonight, and may your words be the one piercing every single heart in this room. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the previous chapter, chapter 29 of Job, we see Job reminiscing about all the wonderful things that had, that in the past that was amazing, how he had everything in his hands, how God has blessed him. Everything good happened in chapter 29 as he's reminiscing. But when you go over to chapter 30 tonight, man, this is sad. This is going to be depressed mode to the second power. Job's life in this book is at the bottom. If you think you have things going on in your life, wait till you hear what Job goes through. Job chapter 30, verses 1 through 8. It reads, But now they mock me, men younger than I, whose fathers I would have disdained to put with my sheep dogs. Of what use was the strength of their hands to me, since their vigor had gone from them? Haggard from what, from want and hunger, they roamed the parched land to desolate wastelands at, at night. In the brush they gathered salt herbs, and their food was the root of the broom tree. They were banished from their fellow men, shouted at as if they were thieves. They were forced to live in the dry stream beds, among the rocks and in the holes in the, in the, holes in the ground. They brayed among the bushes and huddled in the earth in the undergrowth. A based and nameless brood, they were driven out of the land. And we'll stop right there. So what does this mean? Well, Job is talking about how these men were mocking him. These young men were mocking him. And, how, and where they came from. They came from the lands. They were a bunch of nobodies. You can, I guess you can almost say, if it was in this day's generation, 
that these men were cavemen's bunch of nobodies they're just they live out in the wilderness they live out in the land they're a bunch of nobodies they're the lowest of the low almost like a slave and so now as we see in verses 1 through 8 in Job we see that these men now are what mocking him they're they're doing all sorts of these things they're they're yelling at him they're trampling on him why because He's not to the position he used to be in. As we can see, his skin is torn up. He's lost everything. He has nothing to live for now. His body aches. His heart is broken. His spirit is no longer there. He has no... He has no... He has no goals And nowadays, it's a sad thing to see that younger men now, they mock older men now. What we see here in Job, we see nowadays. I see it all the time. Every time I'm at the mall and you get these little hoodlum kids that are 15 and you you get like another men that's maybe in their 30s, maybe doesn't wear the coolest fashions or whatever. And all of a sudden, you just see kids mocking them. Oh, look at that guy. He's bald and he's only 25. Or, oh, look at those tore-up shoes. Or, he drives that kind of a car. And it's a sad thing to see. We should not ever be like this. And if we are, you better, man, you better stop. Because we're, we're not to disrespect the older generation or nor someone that is older than us. My mom and father have always taught me that. They're divorced. But one thing that I've gained was you never disrespect your elders. Because if you did, you get stinking some lashes on your butt pretty much. You get spanked. You get worked for that. But why in this generation, why do we do that? I don't, I don't get it. Maybe, maybe it might be a little something you just whisper over. Did you see that guy? What a doofus! He's got the biggest goggle glasses I've ever seen in his life. And we think it's funny, and we're mocking him when it's not funny. Do you gain brownie points from mocking an older man? No. Does it make you look cool? No, it makes you look stupid. And here, these guys, these young men are just mocking Job because he's lost everything. It's kind of like us in this room. If we went down to the bridge right here and started mocking the homeless. Look at that homeless, stinking lazy bum. Doesn't do anything. It's kind of like that. Because remember, Job has nothing. And a homeless nowadays has nothing. And we see kids in cars drive by, yelling at them, screaming at them, throwing oranges and throwing all sorts of things at these people when they should be, if anything, helping these men. Respecting them despite of who they are. 
even if they're drunk or high off their heads, you should always respect your older, your elders. Always. There's no excuse to why you should not respect them. And here, Job did not gain that respect. He used to have it, but here he did not have any of it. And it goes on in the second half of that verse. It says, Job says, Whose fathers I would have disdained to put with my sheepdogs. Disdain means unworthy. So what he's saying here in verse 1, the second half of verse 1 is saying, You know what? I don't like these guys. I don't like these young guys. You know what? I'd rather have my dog watch over my flock of sheep than to have their fathers watch over my sheep. Because that's how much they disrespected Job. I'd rather have a dog. A dog is a better friend than these jerks. Do you see the the image that I'm painting when you do when we do things like that? When you see kids doing that, you lose uh, an elder would lose all respect for them. It's like saying if I went up to Robert Hill and I kicked him or I stepped on I stepped on his toes and I said, "Hey, Mr. Muscle Man." Ooh. And I started making fun of him and I started mocking him. Would he want to respect me after that? Nope. Should we even do that? Should we even take the step to even do that? No. There's no way. You should not. And if you ever see kids doing something like that, hey, why don't you stand up for whoever's getting made fun of and say, hey, you know what? That's not cool. That's not cool at all. You look like a big doofus doing that. If you want to look like one, okay, go for it. But I'm telling you right now, from a friend or from a stranger, hey, man, respect them. Because I see it happen all the time. Kids in trucks and cars driving by, screaming, yelling. It's just, it's unbelievable what this world has gone through or gone to today. But moving on, verse 9. 9 to 14. And now their sons mock me in song. I have become a byword among them. They detest me and keep their distance. They do not hesitate to spit in my face. Now that God has unstrung my bow and afflicted me, they throw off restraint in my presence. On my right, the tribe attacks. They lay snares for my feet. They build their siege ramps against me. They break up my road. They succeed in destroying me without anyone's helping them. They advance as though a gasping breach amid amid the ruins. They come rolling in. Okay, so from verses 1 to 8, it pretty much Job is describing who these guys are, what they're doing, like who they are, what they're kind of doing to him. And then in the verses from 9 to 14, it talks about how they're treating him. It says that they're spitting on him. They spit in his face. Did you know that's like the worst thing you can do to someone? That's like disrespectful to the max. If you guys ever want to go and disrespect someone, me, anyone, any guy, I, I, mostly the guys, if you ever want to 
disrespect a guy, I dare you to go and spit in their face. And you'll see what happens. You'll get either lights out, killed, or lights out, killed, and ran over by a car at the same time. You will get worked for that. That's the, that's the most disrespectful thing you can do to a human being is spit in their face. And that's what these men, that, that's how they're treating Job right now. They're saying, hey, look at this loser. There you go. Huh? They spit in Jesus' face. That's how much we disrespected him. That's how much our sin is to him. We did that to him. The word by word means a person or thing cited as a notorious and outstanding example. And so as they're singing these songs of just mocking him, he's being, he's being that example. So let's say I were to sing a song about a hamster, and I'm just saying, the hamster is so hairy and furry. What I'm doing is I'm setting the example of what the hamster is. So in the same sense, what these men were doing is, Oh, Job is so dorky and this and that. So everyone sees that and they see that the byword meaning, that's the example that he is because what they've turned him into. Like when we hear Greg Glory, we hear, oh, evangelist. When you hear... Um, when you hear of a football player's name, let's say Joe Montana, first thing, quarterback for the 49ers. When you hear Dan Marino, you hear quarterback for the Dolphins. Right? And so in the same sense, when you hear Job, you hear, oh, song of mocking. That's how bad it's gotten. These young men have brought it to that. That's how bad it's gotten to Job. Man, if I was in his place, I would be upset, so mad that I would want to like hit him over with a sledgehammer, but I can't because I can't even pick anything up. My skin's all messed up. It's got boils all over it. I can't even walk. I can't even lay down at night straight. Job cannot do anything. Remember, he can't do anything right now. He could barely even talk. And so that's why these guys have the chance to do whatever they want to. And remember, Job cannot do one thing about it because that's where God has placed him right there. At a spot where he can't do anything. And you're going to see more of his heart in this verse or in these verses. But the main verse I want to stick with is verse 15, but we'll read all the way to 19. It says, Terror overwhelms me my dignity is driven away as by the wind my safety vanishes like a cloud and now my life ebbs away days of suffering grip me night pierces my bone my gawning pains never rest in his great power god becomes like clothing to me he binds me like the neck of my garment he throws me into the mud and I am reduced to dust and ashes. Wow, what a... This guy's like a poet. We're going to zero in on verses, or on verse 15, for a few seconds or a few minutes. 
Job's feeling in verse 15. Terror overwhelms me. Have you, been, have you ever been to that state or to that point in your life where you're just so, you're helpless. You can't do anything. And you've gotten to the point where you're scared to step out. You're scared to do anything. You've been bummed out all your life and now you're scared. You're scared out of your brains. Terror overwhelms me. That's the first point is scared. Job is scared within this verse right now. Terror overwhelms me. You know how sometimes you get overwhelmed, you just lose it? I know sometimes for me, when I got my car stolen, I was trying to be the happy, yeah, praise God. And I did praise God. And everything was fine until... Maybe like a day or two later, it just drop kicked me like a bat. What happened was, I was doing great. I didn't care if my car was gone. It was cool, okay. Lord, I have three Bibles in there. Would you please speak to each of those you know, guys that jacked my car? Would you somehow help them to look at my Bible and really read your word? And I was praying for them. And all of a sudden, one day, it just got me. I was just like, how am I going to get the money? I just put $2,000 into an engine in that car. I have no money. And all of a sudden, and then other things start coming at me. And I got to the point where I was overwhelmed with this. And I was scared. I was like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? I lost it. I think I went home crying that night by myself. Men do cry, okay? Just to let you ladies know. And I was so bummed out. I was so bummed because I was scared on how am I going to get around the next day? How am I going to make money to, to, to eat? How am I going to do these things? I can't do anything now. And I was so scared. And as we see, terror overwhelms Job and he's so scared right now. He's being mocked at. He just got spit on. His life is going down the drain. And if you think your life is as bad as that, no, it's not. Just remember, this was written to encourage you that your life will never be this bad, ever. The second point is in the second half of that verse. It says, My dignity is driven away as by the wind. My dignity. Another word for dignity is his self-esteem. Has been driven away like the wind. You know how sometimes when you're scared, you have no more self-esteem. You have no, you're, you're just self-conscious now. You, oh, I can't, I can't do that. No. Hey, can, hey, hey, Johnny, can you go and get me that that uh, that Coke can over there? Oh, um, um, I don't know. I don't know if I can walk through that grass right now, because. You, you just you just start your yourself just starts to fall apart, and that's how Job is feeling. He's it's gone. It's gone like the wind. It just poof. because he's being scared. So when you're scared, rise up. Ask the Lord to strengthen you during those times. Because if you 
continue in just being so scared and so heartbroken, you're going to lose yourself. You're going to lose yourself. Big time. You're not going to know what to do with yourself anymore. If you continue down that negativity road... A Christian life should never be negative, 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 negative. Never. You should have confidence. The Bible tells us we we should have boldness with Christ. You should should always be confident in God that He's always going to pull through. Not self-confident. Not negative. If you keep... If you keep overwhelming yourself with negativity you're not going to get anywhere in this life you're not going to be the greatest worker you can at your job you're not going to be the the coolest friend with your best friend who wants a friend that hey how's it going you know i'm just so bummed what are you bummed about you know well i have a hole in my shirt well, here's a here's a new shirt. Thanks, but man, I don't like that color. All right, I'll give you another color, but it's not the same as my other shirt. You see what happens? You start to think that stuff. It starts to overtake you. Do you see? If you keep putting it up upon you, that's what's gonna happen. And we should never be like that. Please. Grasp onto that. Never be negative. I mean, yes, there comes a time where you share things that something is hurting you. Yeah, share it away. But hey, don't always do it. Because what you're doing is, the more you're being negative, the more you're stealing someone's joy away. It's like if I came up to John Corson, the happiest man alive almost, and I kept... Yeah, John, but man, I'm never going to be able to preach as good as you. And he continues to just uplift me and just go out and do it. Just do this and do that. And I'm just the whole time, yeah, but this and that. And it starts to steal his joy away. What's going to happen? He st- he'll get frustrated. If someone does that to me, I get frustrated. Not really quickly, but over the, over a period of time, I would get very frustrated. I'll call you out on the spot. Be like, you know what? You need to stop that attitude because you're really just putting a dent in my joy right now. And you need to go spend some time with the Lord. And you know what? I'm not going to have you wipe my joy away, little buster. So those of you that are always just so, yeah, but this and snap out of it. Kick it to the side. If you got to put on a front, do it. Did you know the more you smile, everyone smiles with you? It's awesome. I can go and everyone will smile along with me, see? And that's the Christian life right there. It's the joyful life. It's the life where you can come up to someone, exhort them and, and get just smile and Help them to smile along with you. And then mourn when there is mourning. But never to mourn all the time. We should never be that pitiful. 
Because I know people out there that are like that. And man, I remember I said some a couple of things like, hey, seriously, bro, you need to stop. It's kind of like, huh? And then I'm like, you know exactly. And once I start to share and, and tell them about the joy of the Lord, how you should have it, all of a sudden they're awakened. When, they, when people can, can see that, hey, it's snatching someone's joy away, and that's what they're doing to them, when you can point that out in their lives, they do a 360 right away. Right away. It's like, hey, man, did you know you're kind of like taking the blessings away from this person by bringing them down with you? Really? Yeah. You know, you call them like five five. 500 times a day just because you're sad and bummed out over a hole in your sock and you don't want new ones because these were these latched onto your feet so well and you don't want to buy new ones and really I'm doing that yeah and when you can point that out in someone's life man it's just a recheck for them they're just like wow I never knew that because so many times we want to just Oh, we want to mourn with them. And what happens when you mourn with them over and over and over and over and over, they become, they become, actually really intrigues them. Wow, yes, I got them. Yes, I feel good because someone's embracing me. Someone's really loving me. Hey, how's it going the next day? Man, I'm just feeling, oh, really? And you go and you butter them up. It's like, no, you're, you're enhancing what needs to be what doesn't need to be there and so what i'm trying to say is when you when in a point of your life there's a time of mourning but never just mourn and mourn and mourn to the point where that's all you do because that is not i believe truly in my heart that is not a godly thing to do it's not at all. So please, hey, you mourn in the time that needs to be mourned, and then you get up again, and you walk. You just chase after God from there on out. And the last thing it says in that verse 15, my safety vanishes like a cloud. His safety vanishes like a cloud. Kind of like my protection well, what's our protection? Our spirit is our protection. And so, Job is at this point where he doesn't feel safe. He just doesn't feel safe anymore. It's kind of like a little girl that's ro- that was raised in a just a really bad home and you know, just abusive and so on. And maybe, you know, maybe the father takes advantage of her. And as she grows up, she's just scared of everything. She, her self-confidence is gone. And the next thing is she, does, she just doesn't feel safe. Her spirit's no longer there. It doesn't want to drive. It doesn't want to go out. And that's how Job is feeling. He doesn't feel safe anymore. He feels weakened. He's lost everything. His family, his house, his kids. 
his job, even his body, he's losing it. It's decaying slowly. And that's why I tell you, hey, we should never, when we're bummed out, look at Job's life. That should encourage you right away because you're not like him. Unless the Lord all of a sudden takes away and strips everything from you. But until then, you have nothing to complain about in this life. You should always be thankful for what God has given you. It takes me back to, look at we have water here. I can go and turn on that sink and water will come out. You go to Africa, is there a sink? Is there even a nozzle where you can turn so that water can come out? You know what they do? They dig for their water. That's what they do. So if you're complaining about this life, man, there's so much more to this life than you will ever know. And if you want to experience this life and to know how it feels, go to a third world country. I know two people that are in Africa right now, and man, I pray that the Lord would break them. Because when you go to a third world country, you will be broken. I'm telling you. You'll be broken so hardcore, you come back to the United States rejoicing because you have clothes on your back. Because you can eat food. And, then, and you don't have to walk three days to get to church. Or you don't have to just eat a bread every two days. It was, it was, it was funny because I was listening to K-Wave today. And one of the pastors said, <clears throat> Sometimes these people travel such a long way. And when they're pumping waters from these wells, that's all they're getting. So they they get this bucket or whatever container to hold their water. And then they walk several miles back home. And that's the water they will use for about a few months. And that's all they get. We go in our bathroom. We shower for stinking like 45 minutes. And water comes out for 45 minutes. And we just bathe in it like it's no big deal. Man, I feel convicted sometimes. That's why I'm only in for like five minutes. I don't need to be showering that long. People don't have water for five months. It's a bummer. It sucks. I remember when I went back to Vietnam, um, I believe it was my, it, it was when I was in sixth grade. And I remember I went in and my grandma had these, these, just these like jugs of just like containers of water. I'm just like, and I was in sixth grade. I don't, I didn't know anything. I'm just that dumb little child. I'm like, grandma, what's this? Oh, it's water, honey. Just, you know, just leave it there. I was like, oh, okay. Well, where'd you get it from? Well, you know, this is where we get it from. It rains three times out of the whole year. And what we have to do is we have to go out 
and hold the waters in the rain and keep them because that's the only water we have. Really? Why? And I was that, I was that stupid child just asking why the whole time. And now I see it. She goes, she lives off that water so that she can live. We don't have to go do that. We don't have to go from our household and bring out all these pots and pans and hold water outside when the rain season comes and then cap them and, and save them for the next stinking nine months until water and rain comes again. We don't have to do that. But yet people around the world are doing that. And I know I'm going on a tantrum right now, but man, we need to be praying for them. We got to make a difference. The world does not do anything. I was talking with Hoop the other the other night. Man, we we're just becoming like the world. You know why revival doesn't happen? Because you are just like the world. There's nothing special about us. We don't do anything different. We're just like the world. So, the world doesn't see Christians. They just see a bunch of them. That's why revival hasn't started. When will that day come when we actually don't do what the world does and then they look at our lives and say, hey, how come you don't do what we do? When will that day come? Because revival will never happen unless that happens never happen it will never happen unless we start being not of this world that's the only way it sucks I feel bad so please take this to heart and moving on This is where Job cries out to the Lord. He's actually crying out to God right now. In verse 20. I cry out to you, O God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn me, you turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand you attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. I know you will bring me down to death to the place appointed for all the living. We'll stop right there at verse at verse 23. Here Job is talking to God. He's saying, "Lord, I called out to you, but you don't even hear my, hear nor answer me. You turned away from me now, you're attacking me. You've tossed me into the storm to die." Job has no idea why bad things are happening to him. He just doesn't know, just like people around the world. They don't know why bad things happen to them. And as you can see, Job is really, really crying out. Let's just say, let's put it in this way. You have a kid that goes, he's, okay, I'm just trying to set an example. A kid in high school gets straight A's. He wins every single award. Everyone loves him. He's a Christian man too. And people respect him. They know who to go to, to be prayed for, and all these things. But then one day, 
His mom gets in a car accident and dies. But he's been doing great. But why does this have to happen to him? In the same sense, why is this happening to Job? And that's why Job is saying, Lord, why are you treating me like this? Let's take it further. His mom dies. The kid is saddened. All of a sudden, let's say he gets kidnapped by some Asian mafia. Gets kidnapped, gets deported over to Japan or wherever, gets put in a cage, locked up, and now he has nothing. Does he have something to cry about to the Lord? Yeah, big time. Lord, why is this happening? Why are you tossing me in the storm for? Why, why, is, why are all these things happening? I didn't do anything. Job didn't do anything. He, he just loved God. And why did his family get taken away and all these other things? Same thing with the kid that's locked up in, in, in Japan now. He didn't do anything. And now he's crying out to God. Why is this happening? Why? why? I didn't do anything. And maybe in, a, in, in our lives sometimes we, we ask the, that question all the time. Lord, I didn't do anything. Just like when my car got stolen. Lord, I didn't do anything. And then I start, um, actually, let me re-examine myself. And I start examining myself. Okay, did I, did I steal anything? Did I, um, did I, did I do this? Or maybe, maybe it was because I didn't do this well. And I start to rethink everything. But really, I, I didn't do anything. And that's why I was asking, Lord, why is this happening? And maybe sometimes the Lord does that in our lives to bring us to our knees. How often do we get on our knees? When was the last time you were on your knees? Let me ask you that question. When was the last time you were on your knees? You were on your face. Just like, man, I can't do anything without you, Lord. Please speak to me now. And you were just on your knees. When was the last time? Yesterday? Today? If it was today, praise the Lord. If not... It was great because I, I heard... I, I think I might have said this before, but a man by the name of John Wesley, after he died and all these things, they moved everything out of his house. And they noticed on the wooden floor, there was like these two indentions like right next to his, where his bed used to be. And people said, or his wife said, it's because he was always on his knees that he put those dents in the wooden floor. That's how much that man was on his knees. And that's why that man, God did amazing things through that man. And after I heard that, I was like, Lord, I want to put dentions in my carpet in my room. Can I? I'm going to start doing that, you know, by my bed. Let me just start digging those knees in there. Let's That should motivate us. But we don't get on our knees. We don't. It's a sad thing to do because you will be on your knees. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that day. We better start practicing. Along with singing as well. If if you don't sing, you're going to be bummed out in heaven because that's what you're going to be doing all the time. 
So that's why everything that is recorded in the Bible along with the singing, being on your knees, it's like, hey, there's a sneak peek on what you need to practice on because we don't do that enough. Hey, and if you look like a doofus, like driving around just singing, hey, you're just warming up your vocals. You're getting ready for that day. So on, so to recap, hey, when, when you're crying out to the Lord, hey, get on those knees. Get down on those knees. But Brian, I don't, I don't really do that. Well, you better start doing it. But what if it hurts? Well, then suffer for a few minutes. That's it. How hard is it to get in your knees in your bedroom and spend time with the creator of the universe? How hard is that? It's not hard. It's easy. You just go in your room, get on your knees, and spend time with the creator of the universe. That's it. But so many times we don't, we miss it. Like I said, going back to what I started off with, be still and know that he is God. Tonight, go home, get on your knees and know He's God. Just sink into the heart of God tonight and know Him. And I know He will bless you big time. Moving on. Verse 24. Surely no one lays a hand on a broken man when he cries for help in his distress. Have I not wept for those in trouble? Has not my soul greed for the poor? Yet when I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, then came darkness. And we'll stop right there. What Job is saying is, haven't I, Have I not done this and that for you, God? Haven't I, have I not wept for your, the poor and your people? So now that Job is on, he's, he's got nothing, he's just on his face, he, he's crying out to God. So he goes from people mocking him, to what how they're treating him, spitting on him, to how he's so frightened because of this. And then to talking to God, now he goes to complaining. Those are the steps right there. Now he goes and he complains. Lord, didn't I do this for you? Maybe sometimes in our lives, something happens to us and we complain. Lord, hello, I prayed for that person. Why, why am I not getting a raise now? Or maybe something else. Why do we complain for? Hasn't God given you life in that abundantly? Hasn't he given you clothes to wear? Hasn't he given you a family that loves you? Hasn't he given you water to drink? Then why are we complaining? There should be no complaining. The only time there should be complaining is when you're in the moment and you can't, because sometimes you can't control your emotions, you can't control yourself. So when you're in the moment, okay. But to carry that moment on, you should never be there. You should never be complaining after five days of the same thing. 
you should be rejoicing in the Lord. He also goes and talks about weeping. And did you know the shortest verse in the Bible is located in John chapter 11, verse 35. It says, Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus even wept. But did he complain? Nope. It was all because the glory and everything that was set before him. That's why he did not complain. What a good God we have. Man, if I was in the shoes or the sandals of Jesus, I'd be complaining. But man, what a great God we have. What a wonderful God. Moving up, moving on. Sorry. We're going to jump down to verse 29 because from verse 27 to 28, it really just talks about how he's feeling again the same old statement. So we're going to jump down to 29. I have become a brother of jackals, a companion of owls. We'll stop right there. So now, right now, Job is being very poetic. I have became, uh, I have become a brother to jackals, or to maybe your uh, your Bible says to ostriches. Why why would it say these animals? Because an ostrich looks dumb, kind of like they're dishonorable creatures, just like a jackal. I was looking up at jackals. It's it's just like this fox slash tiger looking thing slash whatever. It's just an unhonorable creature. And so Job is saying, I became a brother to these unhonorable creatures. I'm nothing now. And then he moves on and says, a companion of owls? Well, when you see an owl... What's really, why are they even made? What do they even do? They just have big eyes, and that's it. There's no meaning for them. And that's that's what Job is comparing himself to, a companion of owls. There's no, he's saying, there's no meaning in my life. Do you understand? The first statement, he's saying, these unhonorable creatures, he's unhonorable, there's, I'm a brother to them. I'm I'm nothing. And then he goes on, I'm a companion of owls. I'm pretty much useless in a sense. That's what he's describing. And then he describes more. My skin grows black and heals. My body burns with fever. Pretty much he wants to die now. He's pretty much saying, hey, my skin is so dark, it's pretty much... I should die already. I'm so I'm so black and tore up that and just messed up in my in my body that I'm like a bunch of ashes. I should just float away and be gone, be done with. And moving on to verse 31, my harp is tuned to mourning. Man, have you ever heard someone mourn? It's just this loud crying just ah, like ah, I don't want to hear that that's what he's saying 
my harp is tuned to morning. I went to a wedding this past Friday, and there's this girl playing the harp. Beautiful. Sounds amazing. I can listen to that harp just go off all night. That thing can put me to sleep anytime. Just beautiful. And Joseph is this, or Job is describing, he's playing this harp, and all it sounds like is just a bunch of mourning. Is it like, I live in Woodcrest area, so sometimes you hear those coyotes just like, they're just going off, and it's just annoying. They're just mourning or excited. Or I don't even know what they're doing. But it's just annoying. In the same sense, that's what Job is describing. Like, my harp, myself, is tuned to mourning. Maybe even maybe it might be his vocal cords. It's just not the same anymore. It's just n- annoying. And then it goes on on that last verse. And my flute to the sound of welling. What's welling? Welling is like a high, high, stinking pitch. We're talking Mariah Carey status, just going off, breaking glasses, high pitch. Or maybe like, have you ever been to um, a concert or something where maybe one of the plugs got pulled out and you just get that high pitch that just rings in your ear for days? That's what he's saying. My flute has turned into wailing. A flute is it's it's very smooth and settled. When when a person plays the flute, talking like Peter Pan status, whatever, just going off, just it's just amazing. It it matches up to the birds. That's how that's how a flute sounds. It's just beautiful, like a bird singing. But he's saying Man, my flute to the sound of welling, it's its not there. He's not the same. He's heartbroken. One commentary that I looked at described this as, Job is being heartbroken and hurting during this time. Like, he literally, physically, mentally, spiritually is heartbroken. Just nothing is the same anymore to him. And I feel bad for him. Because this whole chapter talks about his feelings. What he's going through. What people are doing to him. What God is doing to him. That's all this chapter is. It's a very hard chapter for me because how do I sink inside a person that is... that? has nothing anymore that used to be somebody but has turned to a nobody how do you explain someone's feelings and how they're feeling when you haven't even experienced half that thing that's why for me this chapter was so difficult i've never gone through that but i can but one thing that picked that i that really struck me was the morning part because i remember cuz it was when I was in high school, and I remember being on the computer, and it was after one of my good friends died in a car accident, and my mom comes back from Belgium, but 
I won't explain the full story, but I remember, I believe that night, my mom wanted to separate with my dad, and they got a divorce, but I can clearly remember to a T, I remember that night, when I was on the computer in the room, I just hear this mourning, like just crying, like in agony almost and so much pain in it and it was my dad and I was just like what is going on like you feel that awkward moment and I remember that morning and when when I'm reading this it's like man I I can I can feel Job just going nuts like he's not worth anything and that's probably how my father felt. I'm not worth anything. That's why he's mourning. And so that hit me the hardest. I can deal with that. But everything else, I've never got my family stripped away. I don't have boils on my body. I'm not in huge painful agony like Job is. And so I can't really relate with him. But I, but the only thing I could do was try to give uh, the best examples I can. And I, and I hope that the Lord spoke to each of you in that way. But what I do want to grab from this, knowing that this chapter was just a bunch of just emotion, like he's pretty emo, just really hurting, is how, is how we can be when we're in this position. What we can do. Because we'll never be in this position, but we'll be in the position to where we will mourn, we will get our feelings hurt, we will be depressed, and all these things. And so what I what I kind of did was I kind of looked at it and and pretty much I want to kind of tie it up with how we can be joyful and how we can just hey when these things happen in our lives and it's going this way or that way, hey. How we can be joyful. I hear this on K-Wave all the time. It, it always says, or I don't know who it is, but almost every single pastor always says this. The famous words, we should be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. We should be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. So how do we do this? Well, Philippians 1.21 says for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You live as Christ, first thing. First thing. You want to find joy? Live. To, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. gain. To live like Christ. To have Him in your heart. Have Him tucked in your heart close to you at all times. When you're feeling bad, run to Him. Get on your knees. Pray. Ask. Maybe take a walk outside and hang out with them. That's what I do. When I go running outside, I'll just run and got the pot on, listening to some tunes and some messages and really looking up and thanking God for just my life and that He's given me so much. When you can realize that, you will not complain anymore. How much God has done for you. Remember, He has saved each and every single one of you. Those of you that have repented. Proverbs 10.28 says, the, pros 
<clears throat> the prospect of the righteous is joy. You should always be joyful. You say you're in Christ, then always be joyful. Like I said, I'm not disregarding mourning or being in a bad attitude or anything. But what I'm saying is, hey, there is a time for all that. But you that are in Christ should always be joyful. Nehemiah 8.10 says, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You want to be strong in God? The joy of the Lord is your strength. If you don't have that, you have nothing. You're going to be bummed out. Why? Because the world is bummed out. All the time. All the time. Why do you think people go and drink their lives away? Or do drugs? Or get other girls pregnant? Or try to do all these things? Because they're sad. They think that the material things, they think that, hey, if I can if I can really just, you know, entertain my body and myself for this period of time, that I'll find joy for the whole entire day. But what happens when you you get in a car accident and you kill two little girls and the father lives? What happens? Or what happens when you find out you got a STD? Or what happens when you've done drugs and you smoke so much that your lungs black and then you find out you have cancer? Or your kidney starts giving out and all these things. What happens? That's why it says it here in Nehemiah, that's why the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's your strength. If you have the joy of the Lord, that will be your strength. If you don't, you're just going to jump off that cliff. Remember, because once you start getting negative once, everything starts getting negative. It's either you can lay there and let all the rocks pile on top of you, or you can lay, lay there, get up, and as each one hits you, you keep going. What's it going to be, friend? Psalm 51.12 says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David cries out. Man, he knows the, the rut he's been in. And he cries out, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Speaking to God, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Not mine. A human being carries no joy. Go look at the world. Go to TGI Fridays and and take a walk around the bar and see if anyone's pretty joyful. Yeah, they are for that moment. Woo! Yeah! One more shot. There's one more. But then what happens the next day? Oh, gosh, my head hurts. Oh, I'm late for work. That's what happens the next day. Is that joy? No. That's foolishness. Remember, the joy is found in Christ. It's found in your salvation. Your salvation is found in Christ. Not in any human being on the face of the earth. Not me. Don't come to me. You're not going to find any joy. I think the only thing you'll find from me is just like either exhortation 
rebuking or just maybe like, what up, doggy? And that's it, you know? Like, that's what you'll find from me. You won't find joy from me. You'll find it in God. Trust me. You'll find it in God. Flip with me to Philippians 3, 8, 11. It's going to be quick. As I was preparing this, I was just seeking after the Lord and really asking Him, like, well, Lord, how can I tie all this joy stuff together? How can I do all these things? I don't even know what you want me to do. But I love this passage. It's it's just perfect for this. Philippians 3, 8 through 11 says this. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. The Australians use that as trash. Okay, So it's pretty much like, pretty much trash. I won't go beyond that. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I, I want to know Christ and the power of His re- resurrection and the fellowship of His sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in the death and so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul speaks, man, I don't want anything but Christ. When you can say that, you will find all the joy in your, in this world. When you can say, man, I don't want anything but Christ. And I think a lot of girls are just so good at that. Because when, when, when a woman puts her her all her all her eggs in one basket it's like bang it's it that's done deal that's why you see those worldly girls are just oh but i love him they put all their eggs in their basket on this one chump but i love him and oh he's cheated on me five times but i still love him and that's why i believe women are man if the women the girls that seek after god that put all her her treasure and your golden God, man, those are the ones that know this passage. I'm telling you. Like, nope, I'm not going to sin against the Lord. I'm not going to do anything but love on the Lord. I know so many women that are like that. Guys, yeah, we're like that too. But then we're kind of dumb too. But that's why it should encourage us men. Hey, we got to step up to the plate. We got to stink and throw all of our investments in there. Why? Because, and, and I've learned this too. What's the most important thing to men? Money. It's like, hey, if I put my money in this stock market, I'm going to look at it 24-7. But honey, dinner time, I'm checking the stock market. Or when we put it into our bank account, it's like, oh, I got to check how much is in there. That's... And and that's with me, <laughs> big time. Like, I, I watch where my money goes, big time. And in the same sense, that's how us guys, we should do that. 
We should put all of our money, all of our treasure, our heart, our soul, our mind, our body, our spirit into God, and we will find that same joy. We will, definitely. Girls, if you haven't gotten to that point where you're just in love with Christ that way, do so quickly. Hey, because the guy that's going to chase after you is the one that wants Jesus. And guys, you better want Jesus. You better not, oh, she ain't that good looking. Whatever. No, you should always be like, no. How much does she worship God? Well, is she, wow, she's praying. Wow. Whoa. Oh. That's how us guys should be. The woman that just is in love with with Jesus Christ. Big time. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says this. This is my favorite. This is like the verse that really set me on fire. This is just like my 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 anthem. And it really helps me out every single day. Every day. It's actually three two, but I'm gonna incorporate one because it's just it's amazing. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And this is my anthem. Set your minds on the things above, not the earthly things. Set your mind. The first verse says set your heart next to God. That's that's the foundation right there. But the second is set your mind And why is it so important to me? Well, the reason why is because I've learned that your mind controls almost everything you do. I remember in high school when I when um or when I used to go into the high schools and I preached to the kids and I would always set them on this verse. I said, "Hey, did you know that the first if your mind is not set on Christ, the very first thing when you wake up, then Christ is last on the list. And they're like, what are you talking about? What does that mean? It means this. Let's say you wake up and you're hungry. What's going to happen? You're hungry throughout the whole entire day. What if you wake up and you just have to go to the bathroom? you got to go to the bathroom the whole entire day. First period comes, oh man, i got to go... Because whatever you set your mind on, that's what's going to carry through throughout your whole entire day. So if you wake up knowing Christ and just in love with God, you're going to be in love with Christ and knowing God the whole entire day. I'm telling you, that's the secret. And like when I realized that within my life, it was just like, wow, that's how I can find joy. Is if I set my mind on Christ in the morning. Why do you think when Jesus arose and woke up, he would what? Pray to get focused on Christ so that his whole day would be focused on Christ. And why do you think the morning is always the hardest, man? It's the hardest thing. When you wake up in the morning, the first thing to do is waking up. That's like one of the hardest things to do. But God tells us to wake up. He was telling his boys... In the Garden of Gethsemane to wake up. To, to be alive. Come on, just pray. 
Pray with me. One hour. All I'm asking for is one hour. That's the hardest thing to do. Is to wake up and go straight to Jesus and start praying. Hardest. But I guarantee you, when you start doing that, you will see so much abundance within your life. You can see the Lord using what you what you are gaining with your mind as long as you set your mind set your mind on the things above not the earthly things set your mind on the things above not the earthly things remember you should you should be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good so if you can set your minds on the things above you're not going to care about anything here on the on this earth Matthew twenty two thirty seven says, Jesus speaking, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The heart comes first. But he, he also incorporate mind. I'm telling you, that's the thing that's going to be able to motivate you, that's going to control you if you can control it. Guys, if you're struggling with pornography, what? It started with the mind. Because you considered it. Ladies, when you when you want to gossip about that girl, what? It started here because you were thinking about it. But hey, what happens? If you think about Jesus, you're going to think about Jesus and you're going to want to be about Jesus and you're going to want to tell everyone about Jesus. If you think about Jesus, that's how your your day is going to go forth. That's just how it rolls. And to end, you'll see my point. First Thessalonians chapter three, verse or chapter four, verse fourteen says, "We believe that Jesus died." And rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. Stop right there. Those who have fallen asleep in Him. When you rest in God, not being busy by the world. It's funny. I told this to one of my friends. I was like, "Hey, dude, you're busy." He's like, "Yeah." I was like, "Oh, so you're being under Satan's yoke? That's cool, man." And he's just like, at first, he's just like. Whoa, like, you know, he just kind of like had that, hey, that's mean, dude. I was just like, sorry, dude, I just wanted to crack that joke for you. And so when you're busy in life, that's that's what's happening. You forget about God. Your mind's not on God. But if you can just rest, sit still, be still, know he's God, and set your mind there, you're going to find all the joy you need. And And then moving down to verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the, with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet, our, meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. God's coming back soon. But remember, you need to be at rest. You need to think about Him. 
Because the more, it's kind of like this. Talking with, I'm, I'm going to explain more on the mind. It's like when a girl gets proposed to, and then they set the wedding date. Oh, baby, what's happening? Her mind is set on that wedding date. From, from the first minute she was proposed to, all the way up until the day she marries her husband. Correct? All the married women, yeah? Am I right on that one? Amen. See, right there. So, what I'm, what, what I'm trying to draw now is, look, we should be so heavenly minded. Because remember, we're the bride of Christ. We should always be thinking about Jesus, thinking about heaven, thinking about that day that He's going to marry us into His kingdom. We get to go to, we get to be in heaven and just spend the whole entire life with Him. Because that's what the bride is doing. She gets proposed to, wow, oh my gosh, yes! Fat rock, oh my gosh, all the girls, look at that, you you ain't got anything bigger than that. And then she's just excited, she's just, I can't wait to get married now. Oh my gosh, babe, where are we going to get married? Oh, we got to plan this, we got these flowers, that, I got to go pick out a dress, I got to do this. It's all on focus on the wedding. It's focused on that. She is, she's putting her whole heart, soul, spirit, mind into this wedding. And in the same sense, we, since we are the bride of Christ, shouldn't we do the same thing? Shouldn't we be like heavenly minded? Oh my gosh, I can't wait till I go to heaven. I just can't wait till I go to heaven to see Jesus and be at his feet and to worship him and to be at the table with him. It's going to be amazing. Shouldn't we be like that? There's no time to get bummed out. There's none. There's no time to get bummed out with your Christian life if you say you're a Christian. No time. Your time should be, oh my gosh, I gotta get, I gotta get ready for God. I gotta get ready for Jesus. What can I do? What can I do for Him? But how will you get to that state? To be heavenly minded. To think about Him. That's the only way. Right? It's like, guys, it's like when we were in, I don't know about we, I I never had a girlfriend up until like, who knows when, but it's like when, you know, you, you pass those love notes, mark or check yes if you like me, and then check yes if you want to meet over by the monkey bars. Yes. Oh my gosh, she said yes. Yes! You go over to the monkey bars. Well, not yet. You're just in class like, when's recess coming? I want to go to recess already. You're thinking about it just throughout the whole time, throughout their whole period. Oh, my gosh, I can't wait. 30 more minutes? Okay, I can do a couple math problems. Uh, 29 minutes? What? You're so excited. Because you're thinking about it. You hold the paper in your hand, it's all crumbled up, and you're just like, yes, yes. You put it in your pocket. Wait up, wait, wait, I gotta recheck that. Yes, yes. Okay, tuck it back in, okay. I'm good. I got 28 more minutes. 
Oh, yeah. Wait, I gotta make sure. Where are we meeting at? Monkey bars. Oh, man. Yes. Yes. And you're excited about it. You're just stoked. And that's how God wants us to be. Just stoked on Him. Thinking about Him. Oh, Lord, when are you coming back? Oh, my gosh. What? Do I need to go? I better go witness to this guy. What if he comes back tonight? Oh man, I gotta go bless this guy. He doesn't have money and I see him just, I better go bless him. Cause God's gonna come back and I'm not gonna have this money anymore so I, I might as well just go bless him. Cause you're focusing on Christ. That's the whole point of this. Focusing on Christ. Being heavenly minded. Man. Wouldn't that be amazing if the church was like that? If the church was like that, I bet you anything, no one in the church, no families would be struggling with their bills, their car payments, none of that. Because everyone would be focused on God and helping, helping the body out. And that's what I, I, want, I, that's what I want you guys to get, get, gain from this message. All the bad stuff you heard from Job, yeah, but gain how you can just kick that stuff out and find joy and strength in Christ. That's the whole point. I want you guys to grasp a hold of that. Guys, one day you're going to be married. One day you're going to be you're going to crack the piggy bank and go get get your you know, your girlfriend that ring one day. But until that day comes where you can marry her, or maybe you're single, focus on Christ. And when that girl comes, treat her how Christ would treat her. You open those doors. You pay for those meals. You make those phone calls in the morning to say, Hey, honey, how are you? I just wanted to call just to say, Good morning. I love you too. You want to make her feel special, man. Special. She is your queen. That's God's little princess. Make her feel special, guys. There's not enough of that nowadays. Man. Hold her hand. Tell her you love her. That you think she's beautiful. But that's kind of like not me. I'm kind of macho. Doesn't matter. You want to bless her in every way possible. And girls, you wait for that man. You wait for that gentleman. You girls are so much more precious to God than anyone on the face of the earth. Never go seeking after a man. You wait. Let that Prince Charming come after you. Do not go seeking after. You are not the leader. You are not the one that's supposed to be chasing any man. You wait for that godly man. And he will come into your life and bless you and call you in the morning. Hey, honey. Good morning. I love you. And then that's why you could... Really? Oh, my gosh. Because you're so excited. And that's how God wants us to be with Him. 
You see what I'm saying? Remember that. Guys, be gentle men. Gentle men. Girls, be still. Be still. Because God will bring that man into your life and it's going to be amazing. Amazing. But always keep Christ as the center of attention. If he lacks in Christ, guys and girls, boop, get him out of there. Christ should be the foundation, the rock of every person's life in this room. It should be your, he should be your life. He should be your everything. You sing the songs in church, start meeting him. He should be your everything. So therefore, let's set our minds focused on Christ. When the storm hits our life, let's just mourn for that time and move on. Let's be at, let's find rest and peace within Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. Just enjoying God and for who He is. That's it. If you're bummed out, you want to find joy, go to Philippians. That's the book of joy. But until then, man, let's be stoked on God. Let's go out and just blow this city away. Let's bless. Let's live like there's no tomorrow let's live like this if you guys went to bed tonight and I'll close with this if you went to bed tonight and God comes to you in a dream and whispers to you hey I'm coming Thursday midnight what would you do if God straight up told you that thus saith the Lord I'm coming Thursday midnight what would you do the next morning? Or what would you even do that night? Would you sell everything you have? Would you go tell the whole world about Jesus? Would you be so excited about your bride or your, your husband coming? God coming to rescue you and to marry you? What would you do? I'm going to leave you with that. If God said, I'm coming Thursday night, midnight, what would you do? And if you can plug that into your head every morning, what might happen to you? Who knows? You'll never know unless you do it, unless you think that way. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time. Lord, I just pray that people would walk out of this place understanding your word, Understanding what you have spoken to them about. Lord, if we need to get right with you, then so be it. Lord, if we need to set our minds on you, on Jesus, and that's it, then Lord, please help us in that area. I just pray, Father, you would enter our minds and our thoughts and our hearts, and then, and that you would be the one changing our lives from the inside out and Father I pray God for everyone that's just bummed out in this room maybe hard times and I understand Lord God I pray that they would find rest 
peace and joy in you tonight. And God, that they would walk out of this room changed forever because you're amazing. I can't wait till you marry us. Till we get to sit at the supper table with you. We get to drink of the cup again with you that you've been waiting for, for with us. Please, Lord, help us to understand that. And those that are feeling lonely, maybe maybe they're just their self-esteem is gone. Maybe they wish to have a wife or a husband one day. Lord, I pray for those in this room that you would give them rest and you would help each one to, first of all, build a foundation and to grow in you. That's it, to fall in love with you. Who cares about whoever to just fall in love with you until you bring them their partner. So Father, please have your way with this group of people. May your words and your spirit resonate within their heart forever and that they would focus their minds and thoughts on you and that would be the most important thing in their life is you Jesus because of what you've done because of you because of your blood that was shed because of the gift of life you've given to us we want to glorify you because just everything you've done for us it's because you first loved us so help us love you back tonight and lord I pray, God, that you would speak to each person in their dreams tonight. And hey, if you if you have something special for them, please, Lord, I pray you bless them with that. Me too, God. We can't wait for you. We just love you. And we commit this night to you. Please be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.